News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman in association with Air on News Talk. Now, Brendan Bean is one of Ireland's best-known writers, poet, novelist, playwright, storyteller, raconteur, an amazing. Uh, person, amazing human being, amazing life story. Today marks a hundred years since his birth. Um, Peter Sheridan, playwright, screenwriter, and director, joins us now. Uh, Peter, when when I uh, we were looking for someone to talk about Brendan Bean, yours was the only name uh, that uh, that that came to mind for reasons we will get to uh, in a moment. But first of all, I'm conscious there will be people listening today who don't know who Brendan Behan is. So for that audience, can you tell us who Brendan was and why he is so important? Okay, Behan was born 100 years ago uh, today. Um, He was born at a time when Ireland was at civil war. His father, who'd been a combatant in 1916 in Boland's Mills, was locked up in Kilmainham jail. So when the young Brendan was born, his, his father couldn't see him. So the family... Legend has it that Kathleen, his mother, took him down to Kilmainham Jail and held him up and shouted up to her husband, Stephen, 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 this is your son, this is your son. And Stephen looked down adoringly at his son. And Brendan, of course, years afterwards, when he told that story, always, I think it was that experience that gave me such a liking for penal institutions. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a terrific line when you think about it. Um, And Brendan had that great ability to be able to nail things in one sentence. He was as good a talker as he was a writer. Um, And so from a very young age, he was born into a family that were steeped in republicanism. On his mother's side, she was a Kearney. Her name was Kathleen Kearney. Her brother was Padder Kearney, who wrote the the soldier song, which became our On the Vein. So he wrote the national anthem. He was also a stage manager by profession. So they had the theater in their family as well. On the dad's side, Stephen fought, as I said, in 1916, but he was a house painter and he was head of the painters' union in the 1930s when they had their longest strike ever. So he lived in a family that was steeped in republicanism, trade unionism. Uh, The parents loved to sing. They both sang a bit of opera. They both sang a bit of vaudeville. So Brendan grew up in this atmosphere. And as a young boy, eight years of age, he learned off by heart Robert Emmett's speech from the dock. And they used to bring him around to meetings of uh, Sinn Féin and IRA meetings and put them up on the table and this young eight-year-old kid would start off and recite uh, this speech from the dock and of course the crowd would go mental absolutely wild for him so he was a performer from the age of eight How good a writer was he and how important a writer he was I mean uh, I suppose many of us would have would know and have read some of his his best works uh, the, the the queer fella uh, uh, Borstal Boy which I know you you uh, wrote the screenplay and directed a, a, a lovely film version of it a, f- a few years back how good a writer was he oh, he was really really good I mean he was he was he was groundbreaking you see he wrote uh, it's basically an autobiography he wrote this book, Borstal Boy. It took him 10 years. He started it in the early 40s when he was in jail in, in Mount Joy and he started doing some writing there. There were writing classes that he took part in. So he began the process of writing the story of Borstal Boy, which, as I say, took him 10 years. But in the writing of that book, he was able to write, for example, in the vernacular of the English kids. So the English kids, he wrote them with their accents, you know, 
So they have Liverpool accents and Manchester accents and Geordie accents. And he was brilliant at recreating those speech patterns in his book. So his books were immediately accessible to people. They weren't highfalutin things full of pages and pages of descriptions of nonsense. He went straight for the juggler of the drama of the story. And within the, the, the pages of Borstal Boy, there's a famous scene where this priest in Walton Jail is sent down to Brendan to tell him to give up the IRA. And Brendan says, um, well, I can't do that, Father. And why should I do it? And the priest says, well, the IRA are a murder gang. Brendan then gives this priest a lecture on Irish history that's as good as anything Dermot Ferreter would give. It's an absolutely stunning precy of Ireland's relationship with Britain over the previous 800 years. And this is from a boy who was 16 years of age when he found himself in Walton Jail. And it absolutely jumps off the page at you and grabs you around the neck and throttles you until you absorb it all. It's a stunning piece of writing. And the book overall is brilliant because the young Brendan, when he got to Barstow, had to reassess his attitude towards the English because he met all these boys that he got on with. They came from the same working class kinds of backgrounds as himself. And he suddenly had a dilemma that he had gone over to England to, to kill the British and now he actually had fallen in love with them. What a wonderful story it is. It's one of the great jail journals probably of the 20th century. And for that alone, he would be remembered. But of course, he wrote other stuff in addition to just Borstal Boy. He did. And um, uh, and uh, absolutely worth checking out your film of Borstal Boy. I thought you captured it. Uh, I thought it was, a, it was a lovely portrayal of it. I, I really did. Um, tell, uh, tell us as well. I mean, for a fella from um, uh, Russell Street, a working class uh, background in uh, Russell Street in Dublin, he ended up with mixing with some of the, the best known people in the world. I mean, he was a world figure. I mean, hanging out with uh, Harpo Marx and Arthur Miller and Bob Dylan being a fan of his. And then, of course, that the set in McDade's that he used to drink with Flan O'Brien and Kavanagh and, and uh, Anthony Cronin and so on. I mean, he was a he was a world figure, wasn't he, on the literary uh, circuit? Yeah, well, I mean, when, when, when you know, his kind of claim to fame, obviously, was when he went to America and he became the absolute guy you had to have on your late. Late night television was just beginning to take off in America. So they were always looking for guests who could talk. And Brendan Bean, if he could do nothing else, he could talk. He also had an amazing backstory. You know, here's a guy who had been in the IRA, who had gone to England on a solo mission when he was 16, uh, who had spent, you know, the first four years of his teenage years in prison, then back to Dublin, and he, he gets caught shooting at a detective, and he gets sentenced to 14 years in jail. So here's a guy with impeccable Republican Irish credentials on TV, on talk shows, and as well as being able to talk about his experiences, he could sing. He was a terrific songwriter, as well as his brother, Dominic. So he could talk, he could sing, he could dance. He was an absolutely fantastic Irish dancer. And one of the tricks that he used to play when he was in New York was he used to interrupt the play every night. So he would go down to performances of The Hostage and he would walk into the stalls and he'd start shouting at the actors on stage, stop the play, stop the play, that's not the way I wrote it. Brendan meant that he had written it in Irish, which he did, because the play was originally written as an Irish language play called Ungeal. And by the time it hit America, Brendan was beginning to have doubts about whether he had done the right thing in changing the play into English. But he got an amazing reaction from the New York audience. They'd never seen an author interrupting his own play. This was an absolute force, even for New York. And then people started buying tickets 
hoping that Bean would be there to do the interruption. And he obliged every single night. He turned up and interrupted the play. What a performance that was. Now, sadly, he died far too young, age, age 41. He, he was, I, he, I think he described himself as, as a drinker with a writing problem. And uh, I think it was, uh, wasn't there another line as well about I only drink uh, for, for two reasons, when I'm thirsty and when I'm not, I think was the, his yeah. other line. Uh, like he, he, he was, and I think his, he, he became famous in Britain for an interview he did while drunk on BBC TV at a time when no one, no one appeared drunk on TV. Yeah. Uh, but we lost him Far, far too young. As a child, do you remember the, the the funeral? Would you have been aware of it at the time? Oh yeah, oh very much so. And um, he was very friendly with my my aunt, my auntie Anne, my dad's sister. Uh, they did. Uh, she was very involved in sort of the fringes of Nafina herself. Um, and they went to Kaylee's and stuff together. So she knew him really well. And uh, I, I I met him with my father once in Talbot Street when I was about ten. And uh, I was afraid of him. He's just this huge figure. My dad was talking to him, but I was kind of hiding behind my dad's coat um, because he was just very larger, very loud and very larger than life. But when he went, my dad said to me, that's Brendan Bean's son, you know, he's a famous writer. And I watched him walking down the street away from my dad. Um, but when he was dying in the Mead Hospital, um, one of the nurses in charge of him was a woman called Kathleen Mulholland, who was a first cousin of my mother's. And she was actually a lodger in our house. We kept lodgers. So we got all of the news from our aunt, uh, our aunt Kathleen, who was on the ward. And of course, the stories of people trying to bring him in alcohol while he was dying of alcoholic poisoning in the Mead Hospital. It just it, There's something about that that is so tragic and upsetting to think of a man who was dying from alcohol and people thought it was cool to bring him in alcohol. It's just ex- extraordinary. Yeah. You have so many links, as I said earlier, uh, to Brendan Bean to, uh, through the, some of the work you've done. Uh, I think you did an adaptation. I think I'm right in saying the confirmation suit forced up. I think you had an involvement with the mother of all the Beans as well. Uh, if if there was one piece, if, if people today were going, this fella sounds amazing. I, I want to, I, I want to read one of his pieces. Uh, would it be? I mean, the, the confirmation suit's a short story, but would it be Borstal Boy? Would it be the queer fellow? What What would you recommend? I think if you had a half an hour, you'd you'd, you'd find a copy of the confirmation suit. You could Google it, and you'd find it. And um, what a great story! And all the kids in school, all of over the years, um, who fell in love with that story, and um, the great lines in it. You know, my grandmother was a lady of capernosity and function. There's a sentence from a Dublin lad. Capernacity and function. My uncle Jack's Jack. My uncle Jack. She sold coal off a donkey and cart. She was called Jack because she spoke like a man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can just picture those people. As soon as you let the words out of your mouth, you had that great ability to be able to cut to the heart of things very quickly. And uh, confirmation is just an absolute. It's it's a short story on a level with the dead by James Joyce. It encapsulates something about Dublin that very, very few people can do. But Bean captures it in that story. Uh, I haven't read it in 40 years. I'm going to go back and read it today. Just be finally before you go, tonight, Thursday night, uh, you, there's a special event in uh, in Liberty Hall. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit to, to commemorate Bean? It sounds like it's going to be a great night. Yeah, it's a great night. In fact, it's the hottest ticket in town right now because we put it on sale two weeks ago and the ticket sold out in two hours. It was just extraordinary that people were that interested in being uh, even now. Uh, it, it's a collection of people telling stories, um, some slightly academic, others more, probably more accessible. 
I'll be telling a few stories myself about his relationship to the theatre and the mad stuff that he got up to in that process. Um, and there'll be a couple of songs as well, obviously. Some that he wrote himself, The Laughing Boy, his famous song about Michael Collins. And of course, we'll have a version of uh, Zoological Gardens, which Dominic, his brother, wrote and which Brendan sang as a party piece. Thunder like- and lightning is no lark when Dublin City is in the dark. If you've any money, go up to the park and view the zoological gardens. Who else would put zoological gardens into a song line? And who else would tell the story of Brendan Bean as well as you? Uh, Peter Sheridan, uh, writer, uh, director. Uh, that was thank you so much for uh, giving us your insight into Brendan Bean. I'm only sorry I won't be there tonight myself. It sounds like a brilliant event. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman in association with Air. Weekday mornings at seven on News Talk.